If you have your copies of God's Word with you, please turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 this evening. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you and the Pew Rack, that's on page uh, 948. We'll be looking at verses uh, 3 through 8 this evening. Last week, Pastor Ben introduced us to sort of a, a new section of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11. Paul lays out a glorious doctrine of the gospel and justification by faith alone and beautiful truths that we hold dearly and now and light of those truths and light of what God has done for us Paul moves on to exhort us to live how are we to live out of the gospel so we begin with verses one and two of living as a living sacrifice last week and now this week we turn to verses three through eight and uh, the topic of spiritual gifts so give your attention to the reading of the word of God from Romans 12 Verses 3 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would attend now the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law, that you would give us soft hearts to receive the good seed of your word, and that it would bear great fruit in our lives, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. When I was working in college ministry in Tennessee with uh, RUF, one of the conversations we frequently had with graduating seniors was on where they were going to go to church when they had graduated and moved on and entered into the workforce. Now, this unfortunately is not usually something that a lot of graduating seniors are thinking about. They're usually thinking, well, where am I going to get a job? What am I going to be doing? Where am I going to live? How far? How close am I going to be to family? What's there to do there? There's all these questions swirling in their minds. And uh, one of the things we often tried to do was redirect them and think, can you find a good church? Where, what are the churches like there? Where, where will you go to church? Where can you be a member? I was having one of these conversations with a graduating senior of ours. And uh, this particular graduating senior, godly man, Uh, very close with him. He was also a very skilled guitarist. He could really play a guitar. He was very musically gifted. And we were talking about a church in the area where he was about to move to start work. And by all means, it seemed to be a very good church, a a place worth attending. Uh, But he said to me, well, they already have so many musicians there. I'm not sure I'll be able to play guitar there. And if I can't play guitar there, I don't know if I'll be able to serve in that church. 
And unfortunately, I think this is often the attitude we take towards spiritual gifts. We think of the idea of spiritual gifts as this very particular skill set that God has given us that gives us sort of our special place, our little specialty uh, ministry within a church and a place of belonging in the body of Christ. But if we look to Romans 12, that's not the picture of spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul gives us here. No, the Apostle Paul, when he thinks and wants to tell us about spiritual gifts, thinks of them not as being for ourselves, but given for the good of other believers. That is the most important truth the Apostle Paul wants us to know about spiritual gifts, that they are gifts from God given for the good of other believers. Now to see how he makes this point, I want to look at uh, three different headings in this text tonight. First of all, ask the question, well, what are spiritual gifts? Uh, Secondly, why does God give spiritual gifts? And then thirdly, how are spiritual gifts to be exercised? You could think of it as the, uh, the what, the why, and the how of spiritual gifts. So first, the what of spiritual gifts. And the first and most basic point that we can make about spiritual gifts is that they are just that. Gifts. That's exactly what they are. Verse 3, Paul says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. He says that God has assigned a measure of faith. In other words, he's given something to us. Verse 6, he says, We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So the most basic point to notice here in the text is a point that's easy to overlook is that spiritual gifts are gifts. You didn't muster them up on your own. You didn't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard to develop this thing that you were going to do. No, God gave you something. It's not a source of pride. It's not a sort of source of boasting or self-centeredness. No, God has given you something. It is a gift that he gives. This point is reinforced by the way Paul goes on to talk about grace. And he almost talks about grace and gift interchangeably, as if they're two sides of the same coin in this passage. So if you look again at verse 3, he says that there is a grace given to him. In this particular context, he's thinking of the, the gift of apostleship that he was given by God. So there's a grace that is given Going on in verse 6, he says that we have gifts that differ according to the grace given. And then how does he illustrate this grace that God has given to us? He goes on in the rest of verse 6 all the way through verse 8, and he lists spiritual gifts. So what are the gifts? The gifts are grace. What is God's grace? God's grace is a gift. We could say that spiritual gifts are manifestations of of the grace of God in the life of a believer. That's what spiritual gifts are. They're one of the ways God manifests his saving grace to us. Quite often, it's in very ordinary ways. Now, the first uh, gift that Paul lists here in verse 6 is prophecy, which was a very extraordinary gift. In Paul's day, Uh, There were people that God had set apart as prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and 
the prophets. These were people who could receive direct revelation from God for the good of the body in which they served. It was a very necessary function because in the first century, you didn't have this. You didn't have a Bible. You couldn't just open up the New Testament and turn to a collection of Paul's letters. Paul hadn't even written all of his letters yet. So what do you do? Well, you have prophets who can receive revelation from God. And then once the canon was closed and the scriptures were written, that gift was no longer needed. So yes, we have miraculous, very extraordinary supernatural gifts like this in the New Testament. Paul in other places talks about speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues and miraculous healings and all these kinds of things. That, that God used in his, in his own day. But those weren't the only gifts that God gave. In fact, most of the gifts that God gives and even did give when those miraculous, supernatural, extraordinary gifts were around were very ordinary things. So yes, Paul, here he lists seven different gifts, but only the first one you could really call spectacular or miraculous or extraordinary. He, he lists things like service, exhortation, giving, teaching. These are, uh, when done well, wonderful things. We're not saying that God's ordinary gifts aren't marvelous, that God's grace isn't marvelous, but the ways that he usually gifts his people and gives spiritual gifts is, is in very ordinary, non-flashy things. If you think that uh, you don't have very many spiritual gifts, my guess is not that you're right and you don't have very many spiritual gifts. My guess is you're overlooking the gifts that God has given you. Don't focus on the big, the flashy, the, the, the upfront and, and, and showy. No, God often, most often works through the regular, ordinary, mundane things. In fact, the list of possible spiritual gifts goes very well beyond what we have here. Now, the, first of all, the Apostle Paul, when he, he gives this list, it's actually kind of difficult to really put these things into distinct categories. There's, there's overlap here. So how do you make a really sharp distinction between, say, uh, acts of mercy and service? Well, well, don't acts of mercy often involve service? Doesn't service often involve acts of mercy? Or how do you really make a sharp distinction between teaching and exhortation? Yes, there's some kind of difference that Paul has in mind here. He lists them as separate things, and yet often teaching involves exhorting. And to exhort someone often involves some, some level of teaching. And so there's a sense in which the, these aren't very particularly nice, neat, distinct categories where, as if we should expect the Apostle Paul to give us this distinct list that we can run down and look through and say, oh, okay, here's all the possible spiritual gifts. In fact, Paul doesn't even mean to give us an exhaustive list here. We know from his other writings that this is a partial list. There's three different gift lists that the Apostle Paul gives in the New Testament. We find uh, the first one here in Romans chapter 12. We find a second one in 1 Corinthians 12. And we find a third one in Ephesians 4. None of those lists are exactly the same, and quite often they differ pretty substantially, which tells us that Paul, even in those three lists, isn't thinking of an exhaustive list of very set categories of ways that God gifts his church. In fact, the things he gives aren't even often neat, 
perfectly separable different things. This list we have here is suited for the particular situation that the Apostle Paul is, is writing to in the book of Romans. He's just sort of listing examples. Here's ways that God gifts the church. Here's, here's several of many, many ways that God gifts the church. So if we approach the, the idea of spiritual gifts, of thinking, well, there are these sort of particular skill sets that there is a numbered list of, and I've got to go down the list, and I've got to find where I match up, and then, oh, okay, I found it. Now I can go find my little special place of service in the church. That's not the picture of spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul gives. New Testament scholar Richard Gaffin sums it up this way. He's very helpful. He says that spiritual gifts are any capacity of the believer— brought under the controlling power of God's grace and functioning in his service. So it's not a question of trying to figure out what all the distinct things are and then match yourself up with the list. No, it's a question of how has God's saving grace transformed your life in ways that can serve his church and his people. That's what spiritual gifts are. Are any capacity brought under the transforming power of the outward-facing grace of God. So that's what spiritual gifts are. But this brings us to our second point tonight, which is why God gives spiritual gifts. Why does he do it? Why pour out all these gifts and these things that Paul goes on and on listing in three different places in his, in his many different letters? Well, God, God doesn't give gifts just so that we can use them however we want. Get, getting a gift from God, it's not like getting a Visa gift card, and you've just got this amount of money that you get to go and spend however you see fit. No, it's more like getting a particular gift card to a particular restaurant or store. It's already got a purpose in mind. There's a, there's a reason God gave it to be used in this particular way. And if you don't use it in that particular way, it's not going to work. It's not going to function in the way that God meant for it to function. You can't take an Olive Garden gift card to go buy clothes at Walmart. You can't take a Longhorn gift card to go to some other store like a Kohl's or a, or a, or a different restaurant. No, it's, it's not going to work. You've got to use it in the way that God means for you to use it. So what is the purpose of spiritual gifts then? Look again at verse 3 and notice the audience that Paul is writing to and the way he emphasizes this. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone among you. And then verse 4, he swaps the pronouns here. He's no longer using the the I-U pronouns. No, he's using first-person plural pronouns. He's not talking, I say to you anymore. Now he's saying, we, together. Verse 4, he says, we have many members. Verse 5, we, though many, are one body in Christ. Paul's not thinking of just individual, isolated Christians here. He's thinking of the dynamic of the entire church together, collectively, as a group, and the way that those individuals interact with one another. And the particular image that he uses here is the familiar image of the body of Christ. Verse 5, again, he says, We, though many, are one body in Christ. 
And now you would almost expect him to go on to say something different than what he says here. You almost are waiting for him to say, and individually members of the head of Christ, who is the church. And he says that in other places. But that's not what he says here. He says, no, we're not members of the head. It's true, we are members of Christ as the head. But no, he says, yes, we're one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So yes, we're members of the head of Christ, but by virtue of being a member of the head who is Christ and being united to Christ, you are also united to those who are also united to Christ. You are a member not just of Christ, you're a member of the other members of Christ. You are inseparably joined to every Christian in this congregation, every Christian in the city of Charlotte, and every Christian who has gone on to glory even and is around the world today in the church militant. We are all members of, not just Christ, one another. So there are no lone wolf Christians. There's no such thing as a Christian who is on an island. That's like a hand trying to live cut off from the arm. You don't have singled out, isolated Christians. So yes, we ought to be living for Christ, but in a sense, we also ought to be living for one another because we're united to one another. Yes, Paul is saying, yes, uh, uh, Jesus, he's, he's your friend, he's your brother, but so is the other member of the body of Christ. So is the other believer. You're also united to them. You're also called to live for them. So when Paul is telling the church to exercise its spiritual gifts, he's not looking at a room full of isolated Christians and and just thinking about them individually. No, he's thinking about an entire interworking, self-supporting, mutually helping group of believers all united to one another, all interdependent upon one another, all seeking the good of one another. Which means that your spiritual gifts are not for you. God didn't give them to you so that you would feel good about yourself, so that you would find your little niche place in the ministry of the church and say, okay, now now I've got my place. He didn't give you your spiritual gifts so that you would have a sense of belonging, although these things may and do come with being a member of the body of Christ and properly exercising your spiritual gifts. No, he gave you your spiritual gifts so that you would use them for the building up of the people of God and for the good of those around you. Paul, the very beginning of this passage opens with a a logical connector word here. He says, verse 3, 4, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and then goes on to talk about exercising spiritual gifts. That word for, that little word, is making a big logical connection. He's taking us back to the first two verses of this passage, where Paul exhorted us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to resist conformity to the world, to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. But how do you go about doing that? How do you go about doing that? You do it by living as a member of the body of Christ. By exercising your spiritual gifts for the good of others so that those around you can live transformed lives by God working through you in their life. 
How is it that you renew the mind? You do it by exercising your spiritual gifts for others, not focusing on yourself, but being concerned about the renewal of the mind of others. How is it that you resist conformity to the world? You do it by being in the body of Christ so that you can receive the gifts of the body of Christ. So that you can be with the body and remember who you belong to, not to the world, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your gifts are for others. Which again, changes the direction of of the questions that we ask when we ask about spiritual gifts. Too often we ask the question, well, what's my gift that's going to give me my special place of working in the church? But that question, for one, it's too restrictive. It has too narrow a view of all the multitudinous ordinary ways that God gifts his church for service to one another. But it's also too self-focused. It's all concerned about me. You're, You're looking the wrong direction for spiritual gifts. God meant for you to look outside yourself. No, we need to be asking a different question here. And once again, Richard Gaffin is is helpful here when he says the question to ask is, what in the situation in which God has placed me are the particular opportunities I see for serving other believers? Or he puts it another way, what are the specific needs confronting me that need to be ministered to? Because it's not about you. Maybe God has given you wonderful capacities to do certain things. But if your question is, how can I exercise these capacities? You're asking the wrong question. Rather, the question is, what are the needs that God has put in front of me? And how has his grace transformed my life so that I can take part in filling those needs? We've seen a really wonderful example of this recently in our own church. For weeks, we were talking about a glaring need we had for Sunday school teachers and children's Sunday school assistants. And you know what? We didn't make that announcement this morning because they got filled. Because we saw a beautiful example of this church doing exactly that, of people seeing a need and saying, I can fill that need. I can do that. And I would commend everyone who has done that. It's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ asks, what can I do for others? What needs can I fulfill? That's the why. So we've seen the what of spiritual gifts, the why of spiritual gifts, and now lastly, the how of spiritual gifts. How does God desire us to exercise those spiritual gifts? We've identified the need. We ask ourselves, maybe even others, what are ways that I can fill that need? So now we go in, we seek to fill that need. How do we go about doing it? What does the Apostle Paul say to us? There's three things that he says to us in this text on how to exercise our spiritual gifts. First, verse three, he says to exercise them with sober judgment. He says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So there's two extremes to be avoided here. On the one hand, the Apostle Paul warns us against thinking too highly of ourselves. So there's the the extreme of, of a boastful pride. 
of, of making far too much of yourself, of, of thinking way beyond the actual ways that God has gifted you, and then trying to fit in that way and serve in that way. The problem is when this happens, it harms the body of Christ. People end up getting put in places that God never really intended them to end up or, or doing things that he really didn't gift them to do. And in fact, what can happen is that these people end up taking the place that someone who's more gifted could potentially have taken. So we're, we're to avoid thinking too highly of ourselves. Why? Not because it hurts our pride when someone comes to us and, and says, well, I really don't think you're gifted for this. No, we, we avoid this because we're concerned about the body of Christ, first and foremost. We're not concerned about our own pride being hurt. No, we're concerned about the good of others. But now there's a second judgment that the Apostle Paul uh, wants us to make here. There's another extreme to avoid, and that's the extreme of, of thinking too lowly of ourselves. Now this, this phrase that he uses here, sober judgment, it has this idea of, of right relationship. There's this sense in which it's a properly, soundly apportioned judgment of one's own spiritual giftings. This is, this is the opposite extreme of a, a false humility, which really ends up just being a self-focused humility. But it's, it's sort of the opposite of that boastful pride. It's the opposite of thinking too lowly of oneself. And the danger with this extreme is that it also harms the body of Christ, but it harms the body of Christ in a different way. Because And instead of as much actively harming the body, what it does is it deprives the body of Christ of some good thing that it needs, of some good thing that it could use, that could build it up, that could build up those around you. Imagine if R.C. Sproul had had a a false humility and and never entered the ministry and never taught a single lesson or anything like that. And, and he had just said, you know, I, I, that's not my gifting. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think too much of myself, so I'm just going to back away. And, and R.C. Sproul, who many of you know and have learned from, if, if he never entered a pulpit, never taught a single uh, lecture series, never wrote the holiness of God or any of these things. Think about all the blessings the church would have missed out on. If someone like that had had a false humility that refused to exercise their gifts for the good of others. Think about all the people in the church who have ministered to you in your life. Think about all the Sunday school teachers and the Sunday school assistants and the nursery volunteers and the people that you didn't even know were working behind the scenes to do things like fill up the and get ready the communion elements or fold bulletins or put inserts into the bulletins or help out around the church or do things out of sight. Think of all the, the deacons and the elders that have ministered to you over the years or the very ordinary person who, after a service, came over to you from across the way and, and just gave you a hug or prayed with you or knew that you were going through a hard time, or just sent a card or a text and just said, I I just want you to know I care about you, I'm praying for you. Think about how much worse off you would be if none of those people had done any of those things. If all of those people had just said, well, I don't want to think too much of myself, I don't want to presume that I can do all these things, so I'm just going to step 
back and leave it to the professionals, that sort of thing. You would be far, far worse off without that sober judgment. God calls us to practice our spiritual gifts with an honest, sober, others-focused judgment. That's the first way that we're to practice our gifts. The second how, the second way we're to practice our gifts is by faith. Again, verse 3, we see that Paul says we are to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. According to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what's he saying here? There's, there's this principle he's laying out. There's this idea that God doesn't just give gifts. He does give gifts, but he gives something alongside the gifts. He gives the faith that is necessary for the exercise of those gifts. And he means for us to exercise those gifts by faith, by faith in the God who gave those gifts, by faith in the promises of the God who gave those gifts, by faith that God will be true to his promises to actually use us in what may often feel like very meager efforts and that he will use those to build up those around us. And to, and to work through us. We're to do it with sober judgment. We're to exercise our gifts by faith. And then the last thing that we see here is that the Apostle Paul says we are to exercise our gifts with contentment. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Paul says, if your gift is service and are serving, the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts and is exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and so on and so forth. What, now, what is he doing here? These verses are a little confusing at first. They seem a little redundant. Well, what do you mean, Paul? Obviously, if, if someone is gifted in service, then they should serve. If exhortation, then, then in exhorting, and, if, and, and, and contributing, and generosity, teaching, and teaching, and these sorts of things. Is, is Paul just being unnecessarily redundant here? No, he's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point about contentment. It, to put it more um, colloquially, to, to stay in your lane, as it were. He's saying, if God has gifted you in this area, then serve in that area. If God has gifted you in service, don't be jealous of the people who are teaching. Serve. If God has gifted you in acts of mercy, don't be jealous, don't be envious of the people who are exhorters. Do acts of mercy and work in the place that God has given you to serve. This is, again, where that aspect of having to exercise our gifts by faith comes in. Because it takes faith to say, I don't have to be the one who does everything. I don't have to be the one who's perfectly gifted at all things and is the sole reason that this church keeps running. You are not the sole reason this church keeps running. God has gifted this church and everyone in this church in a multitude of ways that he intends for us to use by faith with contentment to play our part in the body of Christ and to see those places where we can contentedly say, yes, Lord, you have opened this door of ministry for me and now I can walk through it and I can encourage this person even as all these other people are encouraging me in the ways that you have gifted me. And trusting that God is wise and good and sovereign in the way that he distributes his gifts for his church through the Lord Jesus Christ. I was recently having a conversation uh, with a deacon back at uh, the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah. And 
Uh, this particular deacon was, um, he was good at his office. He exercised it well. We were having a, a college lunch, and I was just talking with some college students, and before I even realized what was going on, I turned around, and this deacon had already cleaned the entire kitchen, washed all of the dishes, put all the leftovers away, and rolled his sleeves back down. And I remember looking over there, and I, I was just almost shocked. I didn't even realize what he was doing the whole time. And he did it without asking, just like that. I went over to, to thank him for it and, and just tell him how much I appreciated him doing that. And, and he said to me, and I paraphrase a bit here, but he said, you know, well, I could never get up front in, in a pulpit and preach a sermon. I could never be in front of a people and leading a Bible study or doing anything like that. But I want to serve in whatever way I can. And I enjoy serving in this way. And let me tell you, he is one of the most helpful, encouraging deacons that that church has. A man who really builds up the body of Christ. People of God, what are the ministry opportunities in this very church that he's opened up before you? And how has God's transforming grace equipped you to be able to meet those ministry needs around you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your overabundant gifting to us. You are so good to us, Lord. And we pray now that you would show us, show us opportunities for service. Give us the faith that we need for service, O Lord. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.